0: Hi, folks, and welcome to another episode of the Future in Finance podcast series. This week, we're talking about CMAP topic nine, which is tax wrappers. And if you're new here, this podcast is dedicated to helping you smash through those CMAP exams every week. And yes, you heard that right. We're delivering this to you now every seven days. Thanks, for Maria, for stepping it up.
1: You are welcome.
0: What we do is we pick one of the topics from the London Institute of Banking and Finances study text. We work through it together and we try and give it a little bit of pizzazz and drop in some real world examples to help you along the way. Now, if you don't want to miss an episode and if you want to show me some real love, you can hit follow and press the little notification or bell button on Spotify. Not only will it give you a little ding when we've dropped an episode, but it also gives me a really good indication of how many real live actual people tune in each week, which brings me so much joy. I can't even put it into words. Now I'm delighted as always to introduce you to my co-host, my money muggle and the financial dumbass. Maria What's up
1: <laughs> I mean, there aren't many people that that I would be so delighted to be called a dumbass by, but you're you're one of them you're on I think actually no, I think you're the list. that's it you. <laughs>
0: And the rest of the listeners. Okay, everybody, no calling Maria dumbass anywhere other than here and me. So just me, basically. <laughs> now, let's fire through the housekeeping so we can get some learning on the go. I should tell you, I only have eight spaces left on the early bird waitlist for the CMAP masterclass. It's that CMAP one five day fast track course where you don't just get the delight of me with seven other students for a full five days, you get an hour's one to one with me as well. A fully interactive e learning course, all the audio study guides that are already on the website, the Future in Finance ebook, which is coming soon, it's definitely not ready yet, and a bunch of other stuff, all for the bargain trial price of £279, which is 60% off its full price. And I didn't mention, but you also get lifetime access to all the material. And if you don't pass your exam the first time, and don't stress about it, because not many of us do, you get to resit the course. For free, for absolutely nothing. You can come back another five days, or you've got lifetime access to all the e learning stuff anyway. Now, no other learning provider offers you that. They don't offer lifetime access. The only reason it's priced at £279 is because I'm gonna be asking you guys for some feedback in return. The course has been built, it's been trialed, it's been a massive success, but I want to make sure it's absolutely perfect before I start charging full whack for it, basically. So if you're interested, head on over to the website, which is futureinfinance.co.uk, click on the early bird waitlist on the top of the page and just chuck in your email address. If you're already on the list, you'll have received an email with a little bit more detail, but remember that signing up to the waitlist does not commit you to buying the course. It just means you'll be the first to know when spaces become available to book, so if you're thinking, holy fuck, that's a bargain. Yes, you are correct. It is a bargain. Just put your email address in the box. You'll be kept up to date and sit tight and wait for the next email. Okay, I'm out of breath. Oh, wait, hang on. There is something else. So I forgot to mention, I'm probably going to be launching some big wig summer sale on the audio study guides, just because I know this time of year is where all of our daylight hours deserve to be spent walking the dog, not stuck in a textbook. So it should, this should help you along the way. If you just put in the code SUMMER23, into the all-access pass under the audio study guide section, you'll get 25% off. I don't know how long I'm going to run it for, maybe however long the sun shines for, so what have we got till hopefully... Hour and a half. Well, I was going to say October. (laughs) Okay, next up, uh, Maria, do you care to introduce our favourite part? Cue intro music. Okay, so last week, we looked at collective investments. If you all remember, it was the everybody jumping on the big coach trip with all their money to invest in some stuff. I used the circus clown car, but Maria's actually was better. Uh, This week, we're going to be looking at topic nine of the textbook, which is tax wrappers. Now, I think you'll be delighted to hear that this topic is a little bit easier than the last couple that we've covered. And this should be the kind of episode where you can retain all the information whilst scro- scrolling through Instagram and working out how you feel about the, how Courtney told Travis that she was going to be his baby mama, which we might swing back to because I'm still scarred about it. <laughs> by the end of this topic, we should have a really clear understanding of ISIS child trust funds, the help to buy schemes and lifetime ISAs. There are a couple of other bits that are covered in this topic. We're not going to have time for them today. We're trying to cram it all into 25 to 30 minutes. So this is your lot. But I guess first up, what exactly is a tax wrapper? So a tax wrapper is a type of account or scheme that changes the way in which an investment is taxed. And it really is less complicated than it sounds. And I think it's going to be the easiest for me to give you an example to understand it. So, Maria, have you heard of an ISA?
1: ISA cream?
0: <gasps> yes. <laughs> How about the other kind of ISA? I've heard
1: of cash ISAs. That's it.
0: Yeah, perfect. So that's one of the examples that we're going to talk about. And ISA just stands for an individual savings account. So it comes with a tax-free allowance. But I think to explain this pretty well, we need to go back a little bit further. So when you put your money into a savings account, you earn interest on that savings that you've put in. Mm -hmm. The amount of interest isn't usually huge, but it does depend on how much you're putting in there. So if you look at the markets at the minute, an average interest rate for savings is around about 4.5%. So if you put £100 into a savings account and you've got an interest rate of 4.5%, over the year you'll earn about £4.50 on that £100 that you put in there. So right. it's not massive. Your balance, if you did nothing with that 100 quid, would go from £100 to £104.50. Okay. Now, if the amount of interest that you've earned from your savings exceeds your annual personal savings allowance, you would get taxed on it. And just to paint the, the full picture for you here, if you're a basic rate taxpayer, your personal savings allowance would be £1,000 for the year no so way. Yeah. So you'd have to earn a £1,000 in interest before you paid any tax.
1: Still seems quite low.
0: Well, if you are a higher rate tax payer, you have no, the, the amount is zero. So you have to pay tax oh. on everything, which I guess is kind of fair enough. So if we did some really quick maths, and by really quick maths, I mean I sat at my computer for 25 minutes before we got <laughs> together and record this podcast to give you the figures <laughs> seamlessly. It is not seamless. Okay. If you had... 22,500 pounds in your savings account just short of that would earn you over a thousand pounds in interest for the year so that would be the cutoff point where you'd start paying tax right and you pay tax at 20 percent so it's 20 percent yeah it's 20 percent over that one thousand pounds but okay. if you're a higher rate taxpayer again you don't get a tax-free allowance so you pay 20 It might even be more than 20% for a higher rate taxpayer. I'll have to double check that. But you basically pay it on anything that you earn. And this is where ISAs come in. So with an ISA, you can save up to £20,000 completely tax-free. There's no catch. There's no strings attached. The only real rule is that you can't exceed that £20,000. So you can have different types of ISAs, which is what we're going to go through next, But collectively, they can't exceed more than 20,000 pounds in the account for you to be able to use that tax relief. Does that make sense? So, if I had one ISA, I could put Mm -hmm.
1: just over 20 grand in it, and that's okay.
0: You could put 20 grand in it, and that'd be fine. You'd be no tax, you wouldn't pay any tax on the amount over that. Huh, okay. Now, if it helps, pensions are a form of tax wrapper as well because they've got tax benefits to them. But we're not going to look at pensions today just because they've got topics of their own. So we're kind of going to skip over that one. But it just helps you get a good understanding of the kind of stuff that's included in there. So you've got a couple of different types of ISAs. You've got a stocks and shares ISA, which is exactly as it sounds. You put your cash money dollar in there. That money is invested in stocks and shares. And if you make money, great. It depends on how the market is performing. Um, you can have stocks and shares that relate to guilt edged securities if you remember that kind of stuff that we covered a few topics ago then great if not you can always give yourself a refresher or have a look on Instagram there's loads of explanations to do with that which is at future in finance by the way Uh, you can have ones linked to life insurance policies and you can get uh, ones linked to shares acquired in the previous 90 days from an all employee savings related share option scheme you do not need to remember that that information was purely because I pulled it out of the textbook. I've never seen it on an exam. If you're going to specialize in ISAs, by all means, crack on, stick it into Google and see what you can find, but you don't need to memorize that. But in a nutshell, you've got stocks and shares, ISAs, and it's a tax-efficient way to save money, and you, it can be used with different types of investments in the stock market or in shares. Got that? Got it. Perfect. I know it's not particularly exciting, but it is important. So I appreciate you staying with me, Maria. Thank you. I don't I'm trying, either. Okay, next up we have... Cash ISAs. So this is the one that you mentioned originally. A cash ISA generally includes an account that you would open with a bank or a building society. It's by far the most common type. It's the one that you see that's advertised most. You can get ones that are unit linked to shares, but we're not going to dig deeper into that. And you can also get ones that are classed as stakeholder cash deposit products. But again, we do not need to know more for the exam, so we're not going to look any further into it. Simply put, cash ISAs are usually a savings account with your bank that has that tax-free cushioning. You will see it advertised with any bank that you deal with, except maybe, maybe Monzo. I haven't seen them advertising ISAs. Now there are eligibility, el- the eligibility. There you go. There are. Thank you. There are eligibility rules for ISAs, so the minimum age for investing in a stocks and shares ISA, an innovative finance ISA or a lifetime ISA, I'm going to come on to these in a second, is 18 years old. With a lifetime ISA, you have a maximum age of 40, but again, I'm going to come on to this in a second. A cash ISA, on the other hand, can be opened by anyone who is over the age of 16, and you have to be a resident in the UK for tax purposes. Also, you can't open a joint ISA. So two single people can have their own ISAs and they can kind of combine them in a way that the help to buy scheme would work, which we'll come on to in a second, but you can't open a joint ISA. It's not a thing. It's not a product. Oh. Now, there's something called an innovative finance ISA, and this involves investing in a peer-to-peer lender now if you remember we spoke about these in an earlier topic and I don't want to go off piste too much so if you're not sure about it I'd go on over to the website have a look there there is some information relating to it there there's it's also included in the audio study guides but it's just another form of ISA is an innovative finance ISA which is apparently not easy for me to say now Maria how are you feeling so far with this? I mean, all I want to ask is how many of these definitions and
1: age ranges and stuff do people need to remember for the exams?
0: So as long as you've got a broad understanding of the ISAs, as in you've listened to this podcast twice, and you're like, cool, if it comes up, I could probably guesstimate my way way through it, that's fine. The ages is likely to come up. So a cash ISA, it's 16. A stocks and shares ISA, you're looking at 18. And then there's a couple of bits with the lifetime and the help to buy that are going to come up. And I will point out that they're the most likely bits to come up in the exam. So just a real quick recap, stocks and shares ISA, minimum age 18, cash ISA, minimum age 16. For any ISA, you have to be a UK resident. Got it.
1: Okay. And you can't have joint ISAs. They're standard. You can't have
0: joint ISAs. Actually, that is an exam question that I saw last year. So that's a really good one to bring up. It gives you some options and it says which of these is not eligible for a joint account. And it's the ISA. It's always the ISA. It's never going to be any other kind of product. Cool. Okay. I I think okay, based on that. Oh, good. Well, that's promising. Let's move on to the help to buy ISA. Have you heard of this one before? I've heard of help to buy schemes, but not
1: ISAs specifically.
0: Okay. So it's the same thing, really. So a help to buy ISA was a cash ISA that was available from the 1st of December 2015 until the 30th of November 2019. You're not going to need to remember the dates. You just really need to remember that it's something that was available. People who got it are still paying into it, but you can't get one as of now. So the idea was, it was designed to help those who were saving for their first home by adding a bonus to any savings that they made. So How it worked was if you were over 16, you could get a help to buy ISA and save up to £200 a month with an initial deposit of up to £1,200. And for every 200 quid that you put in, the government would contribute £50. Oh, okay. So this was subject to the ISA being worth at least £1,600 when it gets withdrawn. So that just means you needed to have more than £1,600 that you'd put in there. Right. And you could only use that money to pay for a deposit on a house you couldn't use it for any other reason don't ask me how they manage it but that's the only thing that you can use it for okay now you had to open the account before the 30th of november 2019 but you can pay into it up until the 30th of november 2029 and still be eligible for the government contribution oh so the minimum bonus they stopped them because they replaced them with a lifetime ISA, which, very good question. We're going to come on to that in a second. <laughs> so the minimum bonus size with these help-to-buy ISAs was £400, because that would be based on you putting the minimum £1,600 in, and the maximum that they would pay out would be £3,000. So the bonus was available on purchases of first homes only up to the value of £450,000 if it was a house in London and £250,000 if it was a house in anywhere else but since that got binned off it's been replaced by something called a lifetime ISA so this was introduced in 2017 and the idea was it was there to encourage younger people to either save for their first home or save for retirement and you can put up to 450,000 pounds in there right so just to give you an example of how it worked if you opened up a lifetime ISA and you put three hundred and thirty three pound a month in there, and you can't put any more than that in there because there's a limit of four grand a year. Right. You could contribute over the lifetime of that lifetime ISA, one hundred and twenty grand, and then the government would contribute thirty grand. That's decent. Mm-hmm. Now, as always, there are rules, and I'm going to cover the main ones. If you do want to know more about the lifetime Isa's, I'd recommend you head on over to the government website. But the general gist is you can only open one if you're between the ages of 18 and 40. So if you're over 40, you've looked out on this one, you can't open one. Savings can be used to purchase a first home or they can be retained until the age of 60 to provide an income from retirement. You can't take it out for any other reason. Um, But you can withdraw it, including the bonus, if you were to become terminally ill, which I feel is only fair. Uh, yeah, I feel like that that's a reasonable caveat to add. Any payments that you make, you can make up until the age of 50. After the age of 50, you can't do anything with that money. You can't contribute any more into there, but the money that's in there will keep accruing interest, so it will st- still keep making you money, but you can't draw it out till you're 60. I mean, I'm now considering a pension fund for myself. <laughs> well, that's promising. That's a, a positive life change, I think. <laughs> Although by the time we come to retire, it's going to be like 75 and we'll be well gone by that point. Oh, yeah. I mean, maybe not. I'll just invest in Botox now. Seems smart. (laughs) The whole point with these tax wrappers is really to encourage people who might not otherwise have bothered to save to try and do so. So the idea is, is that the tax benefits are going to draw people in. Now, if somebody has an ISA and they pass away... There's a couple of different options here. So whoever is to receive those funds can allow that account to continue until either the administration of the estate is complete. And that's usually when all the money that was in the deceased person's account is then paid to whoever is going to benefit from it. Uh, The closure of the account for whatever reason, usually because the money has been transferred to somebody else or the third anniversary of that somebody's death. So basically the money can sit in there and it can keep earning interest until one of those three things happened. Oh. And like I said, while no further funds can be added because you can still benefit from the tax advantages, that's something called an additional permitted subscription. It's like a rule that's linked to the ISAs or called an APS. If you're going to specialize in ISAs, You might need to know that. You don't need to know it for the purposes of the exam, okay? Got it. Perfect. Okay, one last thing that I reckon we can squeeze in today because Marie and I have shamelessly been binge-watching Gilmore Girls for the 79th time in a row, and trust fund babies have been fresh on my brain. Child trust funds. I think we touched on this last week slightly, but in a non-educational way. (laughs) A child trust fund was a tax-free savings account for children... It was introduced in 2005, and the idea was to encourage savings on behalf of children, and it was available to any kids born on or after the 1st of September 2002. When they they were introduced, the intention was that the government would make contributions to them. However, shockingly, the government ceased contributions in 2011. So child trust funds are no longer available to new savers. Existing child trust funds can be Retained as a vehicle for families and friends to save for a child. Alternatively, child trust funds, I can't keep saying it over and over yeah. again, <laughs> they can be transferred into a junior ISA. So junior ISAs, again, have a tax-free benefit. The idea is you would open up a junior ISA for a child. Doesn't have to be your child, I don't think, but I might double-check that rule and confirm it at a later date. Um, You can open up a junior ISA for a child. Again, you can have many ISAs as long as it doesn't exceed the annual allowance. And you can put money into that account for them that they can access when they're over the age of 18, or really whatever age you want them to be when you give it to you. Because If I was given an unreasonable amount of money at 18, I probably wouldn't be here today. So (laughs) you might decide to give it a little bit later on. I don't know. Um, But that's the alternative to a child trust fund. So if you're ever dealing with people's finances, you might still see child trust funds help to buy ICEs that are still there. They still can be used, but they're no longer in operation for new applicants. Does that make sense? Yeah, that does make sense. Perfect. And that's it. We are done for today. That's a little bit of CMAP1, Unit 1, Topic 9 boxed right off. I know I mentioned it at the start, but please do remember, this podcast is not a comprehensive study guide. So it's here to give you an insight into each unit and to support your learning a little bit. But if you do need more information or if you want everything that Topic 9 covers, you can get that on the website, which is futureinfinance.co.uk. And I didn't mention it before, but you do have the option of purchasing one topic at a time, which has been really popular. So if you feel like you've got a handle on 80% of the CMAP stuff, but there's just one or two units that are really doing your head in, or you just sat the exam and you've missed a mark in one or two units, then you can buy the one topic for just a tenner. And I can't stress how cheap that is. When you look, At any other provider, first of all, they're not offering single units. You have to buy the full WAC and it's at least £300. But to be able to just buy one topic, you get the visual guides and you get the MP3. And it's an instant download. And you get it to email as well so that you can keep it forever. And it's just a tenner. And don't forget, if you wanted the complete all-access pass, which is all the audio study guides, all the visuals, plus a one-hour one-to-one with me, you can get 25% off it by putting in the code SUMMER23. Maria, do you have anything to add from today's episode?
1: No, I don't. I just uh, go forth and prosper in your exams, kiddos. I mean, Did it is the like exam it? leavers
0: season. Did you feel like you learned some stuff?
1: I am definitely learning some stuff, mainly that I am woefully unprepared for my retirement, if I ever make it to that level. Honestly, um, who isn't? Yeah. Um, also, the idea of being in a position where I have to really consider the tax that I'm paying would be nice like to be in that position financially where you're like how can I minimize the tax I'm paying because I'm a high rate taxpayer or whatever band it is that you've ended up in I mean I suppose at that level you just pay a financial advisor don't you?
0: you you pay someone to figure it out for you honestly that's on my vision board I want to get to a point where I'm like, tax avoidance isn't illegal, tax evasion is, and I know the difference, so count me in. It's not in my five-year plan, let's put it that way. Yeah. And on that note, (laughs) my favorite people, go better yourself, go get the career you want, and go get help with these CMAP studies with Future in Finance. Now, as always... If you have any questions, if there's anything you want to know more about or if you just want to tell me that you're studying for CMAP and you fell off this podcast completely by accident, but you learned something new today, then please get in touch. We've got this podcast, which is now dropping to you every single Wednesday. We've got TikTok. We've got LinkedIn. So come and say hi. It's been an absolute dream having you here. Thank you so much for listening. And I can't wait to catch you next week. Cue outro music.